is our announcement. This is our uh, word of, of just confidence in God that what he started back in 2013 through the brook had already been a continuation of what he had done generations before. And family, we're believing him to continue this on through all of eternity. And uh, that's why we're here today. We are declaring God's faithfulness. And um, I'm just so thrilled, so thrilled to be able to do this uh, today and to talk about God and open his word with you all. Uh, Today, we're going to continue our series on the names of God. And I thought fitting for our anniversary celebration is the name of God, which is El Olam. The Lord is the everlasting God. That's where the idea of forever comes from. He is God now and he will always be and always has been. In 1882, Frederick Nietzsche coined a phrase that has become very popular in our culture. He said, God is dead. Three words that have rung in the ears of our society since he wrote them. God is dead. You may have heard it before, haven't you? He wrote it because in his mind, the enlightenment that is what happened in the 19th century... The Enlightenment, which was an emphasis on human reason, his belief was that we were able to explain things through human reason in such a way that there's no longer a need for the belief of God. So therefore, he stated, God is dead. God is dead. What I love about these kinds of celebrations that we're having today is that The enlightenment has no explanation for transformed lives by the power of the gospel. Family, you with me on that? The enlightenment has no explanation of what God can do. If you're with me, there are times that it feels like God is quiet or silent even. But dead? No. Not our God. Over the last five years here, we've been able to see God do a whole lot of things. And you yourself, your own life, you can declare dozens of ways you've seen God intervene in your life. We've seen many come to faith in Jesus here at the brook because God is not dead. We've seen dozens get baptized here because God is not dead. We've seen him restore hope, heal homes because, what? God is not dead. We've seen men become men of courage and conviction because God isn't dead. We've seen women who are fierce and faithful because God is not dead. We've seen single men and single women refuse to bow down to the cultural ideas of what singleness ought to look like, and they live with purpose because God is not dead. We've seen millennials who live within their own cultural framework Say, hey, we are still going to live for Jesus no matter what people might say about us. We've seen married couples recognize that their aim is to not be picture perfect, but to point to the picture that is perfect, and that's Jesus and his love for the church. We've seen youth who go to school living on the front lines, don't they? In a spiritual battle saying we are not going to give in to what everyone else is doing, all of this because God is not dead. This is why Isaiah says, have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. 
the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the strength. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and grow weary, and young men fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint because God is not dead. El Olam, the everlasting God. So family, we come today to celebrate the fact that our God is alive. He's actually doing pretty well too. He's at work. He's keeping busy. And he's doing all these things for his glory. What I want to tell you today is what God's done before, he'll continue to do. I want you to hear that. What God has done before, he will continue to do. See, the scripture we're going to look at today comes in a context where people of God began to give up on the idea of God. They began to give up thinking that perhaps God has forgotten about them. What I'm about to talk about today from Isaiah chapter 40 is telling you and me that personally we need to hear and together we need to believe that what God has done before, he will continue to do. We've got to believe that regardless of what happens in our lives. We can live this life, we can run this race, we can finish this course with God's strength. And we remind ourselves of who God is and what he's done, we know how to live in light of who God is and what he's done. Would you meet me in the book of Isaiah chapter 40? Isaiah chapter 40. And I'm going to sound like a broken record, and I love that. I want to do it because if you don't have a Bible, if you haven't owned one, if you don't have one at home, uh, there is one in a chair in front of you. There's a blue one there. Uh, it's a different color than someone else's, and they forgot it. But the blue ones you can have. You can take it home with you. Meet me in the book of Isaiah. It's about smack dab in the middle of your Bible. If you see yourself at Psalms, turn to the right. You'll get to the book of Isaiah. And we're going to go all the way to chapter 40 in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is a remarkable book. It's one of those books that's so big it's almost overwhelming. It's hard to, to follow the flow of it. But where we're at, we're in chapter 40, and chapters 40 through 55 in the book of Isaiah are written from Isaiah from the perspective of what's going to happen in the future. Like many of the prophets in the Old Testament, Isaiah comes with a message to God's people telling them to turn away from their wicked ways because if they don't, God is going to bring judgment. And Isaiah, like many of the prophets, knew that judgment was coming. Chapter 39, we see that God delays his judgment in the days of Hezekiah, but he tells them that judgment will be coming, and God's going to use a nation called Babylon to execute his justice. And in Isaiah chapters 40 through 55, Isaiah is writing to the future exiles who pick up his book. Those who are going to be reading it in the future, he's got a word for them from God. It's like God is saying, hey, look, I know that you are in a foreign land. You were carried away from your home country because you turned away from me. And now you're living in a foreign land with a foreign language with people who worship foreign gods. And when you get to that place, I want you to read these words. 
This is what Isaiah is saying. This is what God is saying through Isaiah. Because God knew at that point in Israel's history, in Judah's history, that they were going to begin to lose hope. You ever been in a place like that? Where you find yourself in a foreign place, foreign territory, not, not physically, but metaphorically, and you're saying, God, this is a place of unknowns. I'm scared here. God, are you still with me? This is where the people of Israel found themselves. And in chapter 40, verse 27, they have a complaint. Chapter 40, verse 27, they say this. They say, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. They, he knew, would feel in the future that God didn't see their ways, that he disregarded them, and that they were hidden from him. A number of commentators think that what's probably going to happen and what we end up seeing happening among those in Judah is that they began to worry, wonder and question about the power of their God over against the power of foreign gods. Now, we don't live in a country where there's blatant idolatry like statues and, and, and different things that we worship in this, in this way, but we know there are things that compete for the throne of our hearts. And so here, God is saying through Isaiah, we know that, he knows that in a future day, you're going to worry about whether or not I'm still God. Perhaps it's because they're not sure if God still has jurisdiction in that future territory. We know you're God in the promised land, but are you still, do, do you still have jurisdiction in Babylon, God? Or maybe, God, you're like the gods of Babylon. There's a God named Marduk in Babylonian mythology who was the God who created the world, but he in himself didn't have wisdom needed for this, so he talks to another God named Ea, the God of wisdom, in order to have wisdom to create the world. And, and perhaps the people of Israel are saying, God, is that like you? Well, right now you, you don't know what to do with us? Do you need help? Or maybe they just felt like God is dead, just absent from the picture. In fact, in order to drive home God's problem with their way of thinking, several times in these chapters, he addresses this matter of idolatry. Would you look with me to chapter 40, verse 19? Look what he says. I'm sorry, chapter 41, I mean, verse 21, sorry. I'm all over the place here. Verse 23. <laughs> Tell us what is to come hereafter, that we may know that you are God's, do good or do harm, that we may be dismayed and terrified. Isaiah's looking at them like, if you're a real God, you, you images that have been made, these fake gods of mythology, if you're real, do something good. Better yet, do something bad. Just do something if you're a real God. Go over to chapter 41. Verse 20, uh, we just read that one, I'm sorry. Chapter 44, verse 12. Look what Isaiah says. The ironsmith takes a cutting tool and works over the coals. He fashions it with hammers and works it with a strong arm. He becomes hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The carpenter stretches a line. He marks it out with a pencil. He shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass. 
He shapes it into the figure of a man with the beauty of a man to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar and rain nourishes it. He's talking about this wood. Then in verse 15, then it becomes fuel for a man, the wood does, the tree. He takes part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. Also, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the half he eats meat. He roasts it and is satisfied. Also, he warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm. I have, been, I have seen the fire. And in verse 17, And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, deliver me, for you are my God. Isaiah mocks the gods of the foreigners, basically like, are you really going to turn away from Yahweh, the living God, to worship a god of, of wood or stone? A god that came from a tree that was fashioned by a human who chiseled out into wood the, 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 the picture of a, of, an, of a god? You're going to worship that one? And then with the rest of the tree... He uses for firewood to cook his food? See, the, the, the question Isaiah brings to God's people is saying, are you going to turn away from God? But their questions are real. Does God have jurisdiction? Is God alive? Is God actually going to do something in my life? The questions that you and I often ask, and this is why going back to chapter 40, verse 27, God says, why do you ask, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? Why do you say my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by God? God is not like foreign gods. He's altogether different. And then what Isaiah goes on to say is, all right, let me tell you what our God is like. When you and I find ourselves distant and we feel like God is far away, this is what we must remind ourselves. Isaiah says in chapter 40, verse 28, have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He tells them, you've heard about our God. You know about him. You know he's different. Is God dead? He's the everlasting God. Does he have jurisdiction? He created everything. Does he need help? He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Isaiah's like, look, our God is altogether different. He's altogether different. I think about in our own day how in our communities we have aldermen and have aldermen have jurisdiction in their ward. And within their ward, they have lots of authority. But when they cross the street into another ward, they no longer have authority there. But if we zoom out and look at a mayor, the mayor has authority over all the wards. And she has authority over whatever happens in that city. But the mayor doesn't have authority outside of her city. But then we look, okay, well, then there's governors who have many cities and counties, and that governor oversees the county and oversees the state, like the state of Illinois. But we know that that governor doesn't have jurisdiction in another state. Well, then we zoom out more and look at a president who has jurisdiction over all 50 states. But even our president has no say in Canada or Mexico. You see, when we keep zooming out, we realize that any picture of our God 
that pictures him to be like our own rulers and leaders falls short. He's not only has jurisdiction over North America, but also has it in South America and Asia and Africa and Europe and Australia and Antarctica. God has jurisdiction over all of it because he created it as the everlasting God. But not only does he have jurisdiction on this planet Earth, but if we zoom out further, we look at the planets. It's he who hung Venus 67 million miles from Earth. He's the one who's got love for Mercury, Uranus, and Neptune. He's got love for Mars and told Mars that, and that's why I blush, and it's the red planet. He's got love for Saturn. Loves the name Saturn. It's got a nice ring to it. He even cares about Pluto, though Pluto was demoted. There's nowhere where our God is, or there's nowhere that exists where our God does not have jurisdiction. Geography, topography, any boundary, none of it can hold him back. So whether they're exiled in Babylon or whether we're here planted at 3105 North Oak Park, God has jurisdiction wherever we're at. And he has authority wherever you're at, in your home, at your schools, at your workplace. He doesn't need help. God doesn't Google. In him, all knowledge exists. Nothing is broken beyond his repair. He is the God who is not dead, whose understanding is unsearchable. I love how Paul says it. He's talking to Romans 9 through 11, and he's just talking about how God has his people Israel and a promise to them. But if you're like me, I'm like, man, but I'm not Israel, God. I'm Puerto Rican. You got a plan for me? And what Paul says is, yes, God's got a plan for the nations because Israel is his branch. But God grafts in foreign branches into his branch Israel to make one branch one people. And he's bragging about God, all that God could do. And then he says, oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Paul's caught up in praise at the thought of who he is. Our God is altogether different than any other God. And any other God is really no God at all. Paul says he is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. But it's not only who he is, but it's also what he does. Verse 29, he says he gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. I love how God acknowledges the exile's weariness. The same kind of weariness you and I feel in this journey called life. And what God is doing, he's saying, remember who I am, everlasting God, creator, sustainer. And now look at what I do. Look what I do. To those who are weak, he gives power and strength. You see, in our journeys personally, in our journey as a church, there are times of great weakness weariness where we're wondering, God, what are you going to do? And God is a God who says, look, based upon who I am, take a look at what I got a track record of doing. And I give strength 
to the weary. But how does he do it? And this is what he says in verses 30 and 31. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. He talks about young men falling exhausted and growing weary um, because this is a significant thing. You know, we know as, as, as young men, that's like the pinnacle of your strength physically. Um, at the men's retreat, I got a taste of that on the basketball court. Um, you play enough games with guys who are 19, 20, 21 years old, you start realizing I've lost a couple steps. But one thing I also realized is that as I found strength in the Lord on the court, I was able to take them to school. Because he gives strength to the weary. See, what, 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 what Isaiah says, though, in all seriousness, he says, those who wait for the Lord find strength in him. This word wait carries the idea in Hebrew of an eager expectation of something coming. In many ways, it's synonymous with the word hope. Those who hope for the Lord will renew their strength. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. As one writer says, those who ground their hope actively on the presence of God and yearn passionately for his intervention are those who wait for the Lord. So I don't know what kind of weariness you are experiencing today. But my prayer is based on who God is as El Olam, the God who is everlasting. Based on the fact that he gives strength to the weary, I tell you to wait on him for strength. To wait on him means to meditate on his character. To reflect often on his promises. To wait for his timing and not force the issue. To expect for his instruction and guidance in life. To know that God will uphold us. And he says for the one who does that, in verse 31, they will mount up with wings like eagles, they will run and not be weary. And they will walk and not faint. Each of those three illustrations say the same thing, but in different ways. Eagles soar up above the clouds. And there are times when we wait upon God, there is a truth where we're able to fly above, if you will, the struggles we face. Not that they'll go away, but God has given us strength above them. We will run and not be weary, which means there is a time where we realize this is a race that we are running toward a finish line. But even then, God will give us strength as we go through the storms. And he says, then they will walk and not faint. Walk is a slower pace. It's what we take because we know it's a long haul. All of this, God strengthens us for based on his character. Now, I said we need to hear this personally and believe it together. Personally, we need to understand that God has a plan for our lives as a church. And even when we feel exiled and we sense that, that, thing, that things are a mess, we can hold on to God and his character because of who he is and what he does. We can see that there is a finish line and say, God, I trust your strength to get me to there. Whether it's soaring, running, or walking, but I trust you, Lord, that I'll get to that finished line. 
And I know that along the way we stumble and fall. I'm reminded of what Jesus tells Peter. He says, Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. See, Jesus knew that Peter would fall along the journey. But he also knew that by the strength of God, he would raise back Peter up to get back on the journey. And so personally, God wants each of us to realize this, family. I know over the past five years, whether you've been a part of the brook during that time or not, you've faced adversity. There's times where you have failed even in your spiritual journey, in your Christian walk, if you're a child of God. But God says he offers strength to stand back up and follow him. There are others of us here today who don't know where we're at in the spiritual journey. One thing you must understand is just as the everlasting God has jurisdiction everywhere, in the same way, Jesus upon his resurrection says, all authority has been given to me. Jesus says, I will never leave or forsake his children. See, when he went to the cross, he died in our place, he died in your place, so that you would recognize him as your eternal God, the one who forgives you of your sin and gives you eternal life with him. And so today, you've yet to do that. If you've yet to put your faith in Jesus, I invite you to do that, even after the end of this message, as we have prayer teams coming up. Say, God, I'm done trying to, to run on my own. I'm finding myself weary. I need Jesus. And together, family, I want us to believe this. Our God has been so, so faithful to us these five years. I can't wait till next Friday to share different stories specifically of what he's done these past years. But I I want us to not just live in the past, Brooke family. I want us to believe God for the future. We've said from day one that we want to plant churches in Chicago. And there are times I'm wondering, God, is is this really going to happen? We've got this grand vision, but God, we're waiting on your timing. But we're trusting that God in his timing will give us the strength and the timing and the wisdom to do this. And this is why Schiller Park Church Plant is such an answer to prayer because it's a small reflection of God answering that that we said on day one. And so together I want us to say, let's believe that God's not done, that he is the everlasting God, that there's more in store. So as we multiply disciples, followers of Jesus, as we multiply real communities, we'll multiply leaders and ultimately multiply more churches. Because we want people to know that the Lord is the everlasting God. We want people to know that our God is not dead. And that countless people have been changed and will be changed because of the gospel. God will give us strength to live this life, to run this race, based upon who he is. And he is El Olam, God everlasting. Family, let's uh, give him all the glory. And get ready on Friday to continue to do it as we brag about all he's done. He alone deserves the praise. Let's pray. God, you are God everlasting. Lord, you have jurisdiction everywhere. There's no boundary marker that can keep you away, Lord, from restoring your people back to yourself 
from saving lost people and bringing them into relationship with you. And you have no boundary when it comes to the work you have done and will do moving forward. God, let us trust you in all things. Give us excitement and joy. Give us healing and strength, Lord. And God, we, we just praise you. And we praise you. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's rise to our feet. And prayer team, would you please come forward and make yourself available for prayer. Family, let's sing praise to our God. Let's bring praise to Jesus. It's him who has saved us. It's his name that is worthy of worship. So let's belt it out. What a beautiful name. 